this month. It's kind of a strange book of the Bible. Um, but uh, to sort of introduce us to Leviticus chapter 2, which is going to be kind of what I talk about most of the time, I wanted to tell you a story. So Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. Um, but I want to tell you a story from the first book of the Bible. It's the story of these twin brothers, uh, Jacob and uh, Esau. And um, the thing you need to know about Jacob and Esau, so they're twins, but Esau is the older one by about half a minute, but he's still the older one. And, and that matters because, and I've told you this before, in, in the ancient world, being the oldest son had a, a number of privileges attached to it. So the biggest one probably is that uh, you, you got the biggest share of the inheritance. So basically you got the family farm, which was a big deal. Um, uh, but you, there were other benefits too, like, like the family unit was really important in the ancient world. Uh, people didn't like go off to college somewhere, or join the army and move across the world. It was like you stayed with your family your whole life. And so the oldest son became like the leader of the whole family clan. A lot of responsibility, a lot of power. Um, and then for this family in particular, there was an important blessing attached, which is Jacob and Esau are the grandsons of this guy, Abraham. And you remember Abraham. We talk about him a lot. God made these special promises to Abraham, and those promises passed down from one family to the next. And, and the idea was the oldest son in the family kind of was the one who carried these promises to the next generation. And so Abraham passes it on to Isaac. Isaac presumably is going to pass it on to Esau, the older son. Jacob, the younger son, wants the benefits of being the older son. And so there's a couple stories in Genesis where he tries to like either trick his brother or his father into getting that blessing. And I want to tell you the second story. And it starts with uh, Isaac, the, the father. He's, he's old. He's like on his deathbed. He's blind. Um, and he tells his son Esau to go and like hunt for some animal. Um, and cook it up, bring it back. They're going to have a little meal together, and then he's going to give his older son the blessing that he's supposed to get. Okay? It's going to be like this ritual thing. Uh, so Esau goes off on his hunt. Meanwhile, Jacob finds out what's happening, and his mom's like, hey, and she, she's kind of on his side. She says, why? And said, Don't go on a hunt. Just go to the backyard, grab a goat. We'll cook that up. And since your father's blind, we'll send you in there He'll never know the difference. And you can pretend to be your brother. He'll give you the blessing, and you'll get the benefits of being the older son. Uh, the one problem with this, it's, it's truly, it is a detail in the Bible. Uh, Esau was a lot hairier than Jacob. And so uh, Jacob put like animal skins on his arms so that when his dad touched him, he'd feel like really hairy. <laughs> Esau must have been really really hairy. Anyway, um, so Jacob comes in with his animal skins and with his stew, and he feeds it to his dad, and then he gets the blessing. And then his brother Esau finds out about this, and he's really, really mad, um, as you would be too. Um, and he vows that when his dad dies, he is going to hunt his brother down, and he's going to kill him. So Jacob goes on the run. Uh, he, goes, he, he goes to live with his uncle Laban. For 20 years, he lives with Laban. Um, but it's kind of hard to live with Jacob because he's always tricking people, like not just his, but like even Laban. So eventually, like, they got to part ways, Jacob and Laban. Um, 
And Jacob realized that when he leaves his Uncle Laban's place, like maybe he's been safe from his brother because he's been at his uncle's place, but he's, he's, he starts to worry, like, what's going to happen when I go out on my own? Like, I know it was 20 years ago, but like, what if my brother comes back after me? And so Jacob sends a messenger to go talk to Esau to kind of take his temperature. Like, is he still mad? Like, what's going on? So he sends this messenger, and the messenger comes back, and he says, Esau is on his way here right now, and he has 400 men with him. This is very bad news for Jacob. Uh, so uh, he knows, like, his brother's after him. He's afraid for his life. And so in a very Jacob kind of way, he hatches a plan. And he gets, he gets 220 goats, 220 rams, 30 camels, 50 cows, and 30 donkeys. And presumably some overworked shepherds. And, and he sends them down the road where Esau's coming from. And the idea is, uh, the Bible calls this a gift. Is Jacob's going to give Esau a gift. But this isn't like, oh, I got a Christmas sweater, right? Like, this is like, hey, aren't these camels nice? Please don't kill me. It's that kind of gift, right? It's like, hey, don't you love all these goats? Would you please not, like, attack me? Like, would you just please let me go? And, and the word in Hebrew that's translated as gift it's actually, it's kind of a technical term in Hebrew. It's the word minha. Everybody say minha, minha, okay? Um, and minha is often translated in the Bible as tribute. So maybe you know about tribute. Like when like one king fights another king, the, the king that loses a lot of times, like he's still allowed to kind of control his own territory, but he's got to send money to the winner. And like as long as he sends money to the winner, like he's kind of allowed to do his own thing and he's not going to be bothered. It's like a tax almost. And that's a tribute. In the Bible, that's a minha. Okay? So you sort of see what Jacob's doing. He's, he's sending tribute to his, to his brother to be like, please just let me do my own thing over here. Like, I'm, this is really good. 550 animals. That's really good. You, you, you just sort of let me do my own thing. He's, he's paying tribute. Just sort of lock that in your brain for a minute. And I'm going to explain to you the grain offering. All right, so this is Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. So this is on page 104 in your Bibles. Let's see. When someone brings a grain offering to the Lord, his offering is to be of fine flour. I'm going to pause there for a minute. Um, Remember last week we talked about the burnt offering. And uh, you, know, you could bring a bird, you could bring an, like a sheep or a goat, or you could bring a bull. And do you remember what the instructions were if you were going to bring a, a bull? Do you remember what kind of bull you were supposed to bring? Anybody? Right, no defect and a year old. So a one-year-old male is what they wanted. And we talked about how the reason that that, that, that's in there is God, like if you've got really nice animals in your herd, God doesn't want like your three-legged goat with like one eye. Um, he wants the best. And, and there's, when you come into worship, He wants the best. And, and the best animal, the most valuable animal in your herd is going to be 
like a one-year-old male that doesn't have any defect. Same idea here with the fine flour. So um, we rarely read about fine flour in the Bible because they didn't have like Meyer where you could like go and just like buy like a big bag real cheap of like machine-made flour. Like if you wanted flour, you had to make it yourself. Um, it was kind of a lot of work to grind it up. And, and mostly people were content if it was just kind of chunky. That's like in daily use, they'd have like chunky flour. Um, God says, I don't want chunky flour. I don't just want the flour that you're going to cook with regularly. I want the best stuff. Right? I want, you got to work for it. Right? So you, they're working at it, right? The, the fine flour. If, that's the same idea with the one-year-old animal, right? It's bringing the best. Uh, so bring your fine flour. Then you pour oil on it and you put incense on it. And then verse 2, you take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priest shall take a handful of fine flour and oil together with all the incense. So he takes that mixture and you burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And then the rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the offering made to the Lord by fire. You see what's happening here? Um, so you're at home. You take out the fine flour and the oil, and you make like, I don't know if it's like a tortilla. I think it would be a bad tortilla. But um, you make like a bread thing. And then the next verses explain how you can do it a little bit differently. Like you can make a cake, or you can do it in a pan, or you can do it in a griddle. Like there's all different ways to make this. But it's all these bread things. And, and they're real, real simple. The only ingredients are uh, oil and flour and some kind of incense. And then we read later salt. Salt's got to be in all of them. Um, but... No yeast, so it's not like a regular loaf, and no honey, so it's not like sweet bread. I really don't think this would taste very good, but you, you bring it in, so you make it at home, you bring it in, you bring it to the priest, the priest like breaks off a piece, and he throws it on the altar. Okay, you remember the altar from last week where you burned up the animal? Same altar, you throw it on there, a lot of oil, burns right up, um, and then the rest of it goes to the priests. And the rest of it goes to the priest because... The priests needed to eat, um, and uh, they spend all day, every day, helping you make offerings. So they, they don't have any other way to make a living, so you give the rest of it to the priest. There's all these details in this chapter. We're not even reading all of them because they're kind of boring. Um, it kind of goes on and on about all these different variations and the kinds of cakes that you can make. A lot of detail, but there is one detail that is missing. And all the Bibles talk about the grain offering. It never tells us why they did it. So last week, you remember, we did the burnt offering. And uh, you, you remember why they did the burnt offering? There, there's a Hebrew word in verse 4 of chapter 1. The kipper, right? Um, atonement. The idea was you bring this animal and it's like a substitute for you. Like it receives this, this punishment for, for your sins. They kind of symbolically go on the animal and it dies so that you don't have to. Right? It was like the substitute for you so that you can draw near to God. Chapter 2, we don't get any explanation like that. So we got all these Israelites, they're, they're making their tortilla things. We don't know why exactly they're doing it. And so we kind of have to, we have to follow the clues in the passage. 
And the first clue, the most obvious clue, is in verse 1. Um, when it says the word offering in verse 1, so when someone brings a grain offering to the Lord, his offering is to be a fine flour. Um, so last week, the word for offering was the word uh, korban. And korban means offering, but it also means like coming close or like drawing near. Like Remember how the idea was, how can somebody approach God's presence? They make the sacrifice so that they can come near. Right? There's a sense of drawing near to God. That was a korban. Well, in chapter 2, verse 1, one of the offerings is translated not as korban, but it's the word minha. Like that technical thing, like when, Esau, when Jacob sends all the animals to Esau, or, or when the loser king sends all that money to the winner king, minha. So that's like the first clue, and I kind of thought about that for a while this week. Like, how does that work exactly? Like, so you're like paying this grain, you're like giving it to God, so that He'll like leave you alone? And that's kind of the idea with the minha. That didn't exactly work for me. Um, the problem, I think, um, well, it didn't work for me, even though I think that probably is the way maybe some of us think about our faith. So, like, I was thinking about this, how um, I think sometimes people think about their faith, like, if I do these things, especially on Sunday morning, if I go to church, like, God's not going to be mad at me. Or, you know, if I'm a good person, God's going to leave me alone. Or um, if, I, if I give money to the church, like, God's going to, like, stay off my back. And so if I do these things on Sunday mornings, God's not going to care what I do the rest of the week. He's going to kind of leave me alone. I think that's how maybe you'd apply if this was minha. Um, but I think it must be a different meaning of minha because chapter 2 about grain offering immediately follows chapter 1. And remember, what, what did you look like after chapter 1? After the, you just butchered this animal. You're covered in blood and you're sweaty and you're gross and you got animal guts all over. Chapter 1 is kind of a lot of work. right? You just did all this work to kill this animal. And the whole point was Korban. The whole point was for you to draw near to God, to be able to be in God's presence. So why would you then, in chapter 2, give an offering so that God would leave you alone? You just made all this fuss to draw near to God. Why would you now be like, hey God, like, give me some distance. Stay away. So that, that to me, I, I'm not sure what to make of it. I, I don't think, it, if, it is, if it's a minha, it can't be a minha like Jacob's minha. So I was looking in the rest of the passage and, and trying to find, you know, what else might be a clue for us. And I looked down in verse 12. So in verse 12, it kind of offers like, I guess it'd be like a variation on this offering. And it's called uh, the offering of the first fruits. And the Bible actually says a lot about the offering of first fruits. So we have a pretty good idea of what it's talking about. Deuteronomy 26 is where it lays it out. This is how the offering of first fruits worked. If you were an Israelite, you were almost certainly a farmer. Okay. So in the spring, uh, you plant your seed, and in the summertime, you start harvesting. 
The idea with the offering of first fruits is that the first harvest, like the first, maybe you sort of estimate like 10% of what you're going to grow for the year, you collect it. Okay, so you harvest this stuff, you put it on a cart, and you bring it to the priest. And you kind of put it at the priest's feet. And you gave a speech. Okay? And the speech is actually kind of like a history lesson. And it went something like this. You said, God has been so good to my people. And you start all the way with Abraham. And you talk about how God called Abraham and made promises to him and then made Abraham's family into this nation. And then God rescued that nation from Egypt and led us across the Red Sea and through the wilderness and into the land flowing with milk and honey. And the land where this food came from is a gift from God. I give it back to Him. And then the next thing you do is you take that food and you give it to four groups of people. You gave it to the priests, right, just like the grain offering, because they got to eat. And then you gave it to orphans, widows, and immigrants. And why do you think God told His people to give the food to orphans, widows, and immigrants? It's because they're really vulnerable, right? These are the people who don't have land of their own. Um, so God, and this comes up a lot in the Bible, these three in particular, God is, God's like obsessed with His people taking care of vulnerable people like orphans, widows, and immigrants. Uh, and so God is really concerned about that. So even here in this offering, you take your best food, you give some of it to the priest, and you give the rest to the, to the poor, basically. All right, now tell me, um, would this offering be pretty different if instead of it being the offering of first fruits, it was the offering of leftovers? So let's imagine you're, the, you're this Israelite farmer, and instead of collecting your stuff way in the beginning of the harvest, you wait until the end of the harvest. Okay? You got everything kind of stored away, you kind of know what you need for the year. And you kind of take an assessment and you're like, you know what, I, I think we can afford to give some of this back. So then you collect that stuff and bring it into the priest. That'd be pretty different, wouldn't it? I was thinking the big difference there is risk. Right? The person who gives the first fruits, they're not even done harvesting yet. They don't know. The next day there could be a big hailstorm. Wipe out the crops. Next day there could be drought. Next day... Robbers could come through. War, whatever, right? You don't know what's going to happen. The guy who brings the offering of leftovers, he's pretty safe, right? Like he's, he knows for certain, like everything's cool. This isn't going to put me out. He, he only gives what he knows he can give. I think this would be a really powerful moment to see Israelite farmer after Israelite farmer coming up to the priest this was their livelihood, right? I mean, it's not like they had money saved in the bank. This was it. To take that first bit of food and lay it before the priest and give it to the poor. I mean, what a dramatic moment of trust that is, right? To say, boy, God, I really think I have a pretty good idea that I might need this. I'm going to trust you. I have to assume that's why they gave this big speech I think they were talking themselves into it. Like, God has been faithful. 
Like all the way from Abraham. Generation after generation after generation after generation. God has been faithful. So I, I'm trusting that he will be faithful again. I mean, isn't that kind of what it looks like when you're bringing that offering? You're talking yourself into it. God, I, I trust you with this. You see how different that is from Minha? Right? Like Minha is like, um, you know, like, God, like, give me space. Like, um, let me do my own thing. But the offering of first fruits is like, God, I trust you. You've been good to me. I trust you. Right? I mean, it's a totally different dynamic. Um, and what I see sort of emerging there, I really like that for explaining maybe what, what's going on behind the grain offering because chapter 1, the burnt offering, this is God's forgiveness, right? He's, he's, he's punishing the animal to forgive you. Chapter 2, I give my thanks to God. He saved me. I give thanks. I, I trust Him. And I feel like that is like the most basic movement in the Christian faith. Like if you wanted to summarize, like what is the Christian faith in like two movements, it's God saved me, I give thanks. Right? This is why, this is why we never take an offering, or it's why we never take a collection at Crescent Church. We never take a collection. There are no collections here. And we're trying to purge that word out of our vocabulary. We're not paying dues. That's for country clubs and Netflix. I don't know. Um, we're not taking collections. Um, look in your bulletin, if you would. Look in your bulletin. Look, look where the offering is. Um, what comes right before the offering? It's the assurance of pardon. Basically, every week, that's how we do it. What part of our service is the most like among a lot of other religions? Um, I think a lot of religions have a sense of minha. Uh, just like Jacob and Esau. Like that there's something I need to do or there's some pi- price I need to pay uh, to God so that either He'll forgive me or so that I can get into heaven or so that He'll bless me. Right? Like i got to pay God something so that I'll be good with Him. Christianity is unique in that if anyone, if anyone has to pay a price to God, God says, I'm the one who will pay that. I'll pick up the tab. I will do this, right? It is God Himself who goes up on the cross to die for us. He's the ransom price, right? He's the kippur. We talked about Him last week. He forgives us. It's a gift. And the only response The only response that he asks is faith and thanks. That's it. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have paid the full price. That we don't need to watch the ledgers or see if I've done enough good to outweigh the bad. If I've been a better person than the other people I know, that I've put enough in the offering plate to keep you happy. 
Lord, I thank you that when you saved us, you didn't just save us 10%, you saved us 100%. And that we can now offer our whole lives back to you. Not just in part, not just, uh, not just our spiritual lives, but the way that we do our jobs, the way that we're students, the way that we're children, the way that we're parents, the way that we're aunts and uncles, the way that we're neighbors and citizens, Lord. In all these things, may we find ways to be offering our lives as living sacrifices to you, the one who died to save us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand and let's sing together When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.